This morning, we are in Genesis chapter 2. So, chapter 2 elaborates on the day that God created people after his own image. What about God are we meant to reflect? And about the way that we were created. What is happening in this strange story that continues in Genesis 2? To recap from last week, we know God created something out of nothing. We know Adam and Eve were actual real people. And we have made some connections from Genesis 1 to Jesus Christ and our walk today as believers. We're going to continue this trend. Today in chapter 2, we're going to detail on day 6, as this day elaborates on the creation of the first human beings. Their purpose, their commission, and by extension then, our original purpose and our value as human beings. There's a YouTube channel. Um, it's kind of like uh, that TV show, How It's Made, right? Where they show you all the production lines and everything. But uh, this YouTube channel, instead of showing something mass produced by machines, it explores uh, things that are created by hand. How things are handcrafted and they go all over the world and speak to uh, artisans and craftsmen and sometimes this person or these group of people are the only people in the world that can make this thing. Um, for example, the Rolls-Royce Phantom, the very expensive Rolls-Royce cars. There is one man that Rolls-Royce employs to do the pinstripe detailing on the side of a Rolls-Royce car. He does it by hand, freehand. He's the only person in the world that can do it for Rolls-Royce. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Make something so exceptional, so unique from hand. We see a greater sense of appreciation for the final product. You see the way it was made adds value and rarity and uniqueness to the item. Genesis 2 invokes that illustration of God, the master craftsman that takes extra care and attention in creating man, human beings. We were made set apart from the rest of creation. We were made for uh, a purpose. And today, we are going to look at how we are created in the image of God and why we were created male and female to fulfill our complementary and distinct roles as co-rulers of creation. 
with God originally. The purpose has been tainted by the curse. And as we'll find out in the chapter, why something is made gives us insight into the restoration process as well. The purpose of redemption is to ultimately restore us to our original purpose. So let's look at it. What is happening in chapter 2? I'm going to read from verse 7. Uh, it's quite a long chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we'll read some sections and I'll paraphrase and explain the chapter as we read. Uh, from verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into, its no uh, into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree, the sight of his good and the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, along with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then it speaks about the four rivers that flowed from the garden. And in uh, chapter 15, and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden uh, to till and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Uh, but of the tree of knowledge and good of evil you shall not eat. Verse 20, then the Lord God um, wants Adam to choose a companion from all the created animals, and he names them. <coughs> um, but it says in verse 20, he could not find a suitable helper, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place and the ribs with the, with the glory of God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man and in verse 24 uh, it gives a bit of an editorial comment on this unity this oneness um, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh and in verse 25 they were both naked man and wife and were not ashamed Okay, so there's a lot going on. <coughs> Before verse 7, it talks about mist coming up from the ground um, and watering the earth instead of rain. <coughs> the thing with rain is that it can lead to floods and destruction, as we know, and it can also be withheld and lead to drought and devastation. That's part of the curse. <coughs> but it's nice if there was... A perpetual sprinkler system on and everything had just the right amount of water it needed to, to thrive. Okay, then in verse 7, it says, okay, and, it, and he crafted, he made Adam out of the dust and he breathed into him the breath of life he became a living being or a, or, a, or a living soul, a soul. 
So if we take this, if we take this uniqueness of our creation and the distinctness of our creation, let's break this up into a few points. God made us, let me just make sure I'm on the right page. God made us in his image. <clears throat> in the previous chapter, it says, uh, God says, let us make um, them in our image. And he, and he created them male and female, it says, in his image. <clears throat> what does that mean? Have, we hear it all the time, right? <clears throat> the fact that the word image and likeness in the previous chapter, in chapter 1, there are two different words, but they mean the same thing. It's like me saying um, precipitation and rain. <clears throat> Many times the Bible repeats ideas in different ways to emphasize uh, something. To be in the image of something is to re reflect something of the original, to have some properties you're not quite that, it's not exactly that, but there's something about this that is similar to this. So we are made to reflect something of God. We are not God. As God rules the universe, um, we are told here in chapter 2, Adam was told to rule over the earth. Now, it doesn't say what about God, what about us, we reflect of God. And I know we all want that answer, right? We want to take a slice out of the cake and put it there and be like, that's the image of God about us. <clears throat> it would be nice to be that specific, but it's not that simple. Someone would say perhaps it's our ability to think morally and ethically through decisions, maybe. Others would say it's our ability for um, artistic or rational thought or creative thinking, maybe. The list of people trying to specify goes on. But it doesn't specify, I believe, on purpose. The image that we bear is much more complex, it's multifaceted, it's beautiful. It could be all of those things, <clears throat> but it's not one specific thing. Something about God, he created us to reflect. Chapter one feeds into chapter two. We already established that God created everything out of nothing, right? What is the quintessential example of making something out of nothing? Life. It's life. It says that he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and he became a living being. We talked about something that has died, right? A person or a thing that has died. But we also talk about something that is lifeless, an inanimate object as being dead. 
you speak about a table or a rock being dead, devoid of life. So God created life where there was no life. <laughs> I, I mentioned I'm not going to delve too deep into the debate, but as an atheistic evolutionist, we, we hear that it rained on the rocks for millions of years, billions of years ago, and, and those rocks formed a primordial soup, and in that, life just began. But how? Well, it just began. God made something out of nothing. Number two, God made us for his glory. So number one, God made us in Im his image and he made us for his glory. It tells us something about the character of God to imbue us with his likeness. You see, God is perfect. Nothing about his character or being is deficient or lacking. He, he, he doesn't need to grow or learn. <laughs> he doesn't need us. But yet in his will, he created us. He created us to enjoy him and to love him and be loved by him and to live in communion with our creator. In Revelation, it very purposefully correlates to the images of Genesis. There's a tree of life there. <laughs> there is um, this original purpose of God being among his people. <coughs> there is so much about eternity that resembles this original state of being. That is the ultimate goal of redemption. So he created us for his glory. You know, if we think about God being glorified, we would, uh, part of us thinks, isn't that self-centered a little bit, that God created, made us for his glory. <laughs> well, we are imperfect. We are deficient. We are lacking. When we glorify ourselves, obviously it's going to be self-centered. But if God receives glory, who is he taking glory from? He's not robbing glory of anyone. That's why when we say, he is worthy of glory. We're saying he, he alone is worthy to receive glory. Glory is reserved only for you, Lord. Nothing else. And that was part of our original intent, our created purpose. To bring glory to God as our creator, as our protector, as our provider as the sustainer of life. 
as our Father in heaven. I have made us for his glory. Why does it matter? <coughs> Let's draw a connection now, one of those connections again. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, listen to this imagery that uh, uh, Paul brings up when speaking about um, the resurrection and, and salvation. Okay, so Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Being buried with him in baptism, the symbol of baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So you were raised with him through the power of God who raised Christ. From the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, the, the rebellion of, of God's provision law <clears throat> has made alive, has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. <clears throat> we see illustrations like this all over the New Testament, continually linking back to this chapter 2 in Genesis, <clears throat> that God created something out of nothing. He gave life to something that is lifeless. <clears throat> if death, if sin is the separation of God, from God, and God is the giver and, and sustainer of life, then the consequence of sin must be death. That makes sense. <laughs> but this same God that brought something to life that was dead, that same God can bring new life in the restoration of us to him, the salvation. It's literal life-giving power when we are saved. And only God can do that. Only God can give life to something that is dead. God made us distinct. The, the chapter goes on, and uh, God puts Adam in front of all the animals, and he, and he starts naming them. The thing about naming is you have to look at some, a characteristic or a behavior of an animal and then name it accordingly, right? So firstly, it shows um, Adam fulfilling that command of ruling over creation on earth <coughs> by naming something. Uh, yesterday, Colleen saw a paradise in the garden, right? It's a type of bird. And then I asked her, so what does it eat? And she said, um, flies. 
It's a fly catcher. You know, and I felt a bit silly after that. <laughs> the other purpose, I believe, was that Adam could see that there is something missing, that there is something still to come. God knew, God knew he wouldn't find a suitable companion among the, he knew that, but he wanted him to know that as well. <clears throat> so he created Eve. And it says, um, they were both naked and not ashamed. See, the thing about the knowledge of good and, good and evil <clears throat> is that um, shame comes in when we identify or when we become aware of something evil within an idea or place or a concept or a word or anything. When we are aware of evil, if we see a stranger walking down the street naked, the evil that we infer is, is of a sexual nature. We, we think thoughts and we, we assume the worst and we, uh, there's no good thought that we think. <clears throat> so shame is when we see or recognize the potential for evil in something. But not knowing evil, knowing only good and right and what God has declared to be good there was no shame. <clears throat> but he made us distinct. <clears throat> says um, that word helper that we see here in chapter 2, it's also used of God. God um, helping the Israelites in the wilderness. <clears throat> it has this idea of not just... Um, a servant, that's not at all what the word is indicating. It's indicating uh, a companion, a protector, a, um, uh, a, a helper in, in, in the literal sense of the word. <clears throat> so why does this matter? Why does it matter that we are made male and female, we are made distinct, that God made us complementary? So not only biologically distinct, and we know that, but also in our immaterial design as well. <coughs> if we think about an illustration, uh, think about a, a civil engineer. Not the person filling that role. It, it can be anyone. I'm talking about the occupation, the profession of a civil engineer. Excuse me, the training that goes into that, the experience that goes into that, the work environment that goes into that, everything that goes into anyone being a civil engineer. <coughs> is that profession interchangeable with a computer programmer, for example, and all the training that goes into that, and all the experience that goes into that? Can you take uh, 
a civil engineer and put him in front of a, or her or whoever in front of a computer and say, okay, now program something, or vice versa. <coughs> it's not interchangeable. It's distinct. But it doesn't mean the one is more important or less important. They were created both to reflect the image of God. And we see <coughs> in the New Testament as we draw a line again, why does it matter? <coughs> the Bible has a lot to say about the unity and the, the beautiful thing that is marriage and how um, casually the secular world treats it <coughs> uh, and, how, um, and how wonderful it actually is to, to, uh, to find a companion and to, and to spend the rest of your life with that person. It's not... Um, Meant for everyone, but there is beauty there and there's purpose there. <coughs> also, in the fact that we are created with value. In Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Jesus Christ. That does not mean we become interchangeable. It means that we share the same value, <coughs> that as created human beings, we reflect the image of God. <coughs> and in Jesus Christ, we are co-inheritors of God's grace. What is, what does this mean? What can we take away from all of this? Let's acknowledge that especially in today's realm of work and school and the internet, <coughs> we come across um, conflicting ideas. We come across um, people that think very radically and differently about gender roles and about um, sexual orientation <coughs> as believers, we must acknowledge that no matter what someone believes, no matter what someone has done, no matter who someone is, <coughs> just as we were created in the image of God, so was that person. Image bearers is not exclusively to believers. A human being is created in the image of God. That's why murder is such a serious crime in, in the Bible even. <coughs> um, it, was, it was gravely punished <coughs> to, to, to kill someone else, to take the life of someone else that is also made in the image of God. 
That's why it was, it's such a serious crime. That's why Jesus Christ said, whoever hates his brother is guilty of the sin of murder. We think about how serious that is. The dignity that we show someone else and the love that we show someone else isn't connected to me disagreeing with you and me holding different beliefs than you and me wanting to share my beliefs with you and, and me having a different opinion doesn't mean that we have any right to show anyone less dignity and love and respect. We need to admit that. And we need to be comfortable to say that I have a different opinion than you do. I don't think what you believe is right. I believe what I believe is right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I can't love you. We have to realize that. <clears throat> Something that makes me so, so, so angry. You've heard the term Bible bashing, you know, where people stand with picket fences burn in hell, you know, and, and it, it makes me so, so angry to the core, is, have you read your Bible? <laughs> is this what Jesus Christ uh, intended when he said, love your neighbor? Is this what, what God intended when he created us in his image? See, some of the consequences of, of the fall as we look further <coughs> There's a great king and he treats his wives like property. <laughs> we mentioned sinners being injustice. Creating um, inequality between me and another person. As believers, we should strive for justice. That I recognize you as a fellow human being. And that's enough. As we continue our journey into Genesis, hope that we can make more and more connections, real practical connections to the way we live our faith now by reading this book. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you now that you created us, you formed us for a very special and specific reason. Lord, your redemptive plan and salvation in Christ and eternity one day will be restored to that and we look forward to that. I pray now that you help us not only reflect your image but give you glory, Lord, in all things and and be testimonies of your saving power in, in our lives and, and be examples of your love to others that they may see and know and believe and glorify you as well. That is our hope, Lord. Please help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may stand and we'll sing our signing hymn. Thank you.